Amen. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20. Exodus chapter 20. We are continuing looking at the Ten Commandments. And if I had planned better, we might have been on honor thy father and thy mother. But I did not plan well. So uh, we are not quite there today, which means two things. One... We get that sermon in just a few weeks, which means we get to honor mothers and fathers again on that day. So it's a double whammy, right? All right. So we are talking today about the second commandment. Um, But as we look at the second commandment, we understand that the word of God applies to every individual in every age. And so today we want to look at how this verse not only honors mothers and encourages mothers, but honors and encourages all believers who seek to follow the Lord. So we look at Exodus 20, we see that God very simply forbade the Israelites from making and worshiping any false image. And what we find out through the scriptures is that God desires us to worship him as he truly is. What we find out from Scripture is that no counterfeit will do when it comes to worshiping God. Not only does He desire us to worship Him as He truly is, but He desires us to worship Him in the way that He wants to be worshipped. He is the one who structures our worship. So the question for us, and we understand this, right? We understand how this goes. How many mothers in here have told your children, go clean your room? Pretty easy desire, right? Go clean your room. How many children in here have cleaned the room the Ryan Reed way? You open up the sheets on the bed, you slide everything under. You open up your closet, you pile everything in. You close that door, you walk in that room, that room is clean. Did I do what my parents asked me to do when I cleaned my room? I cleaned the room, mama. How many times have we said that? But is it done in the way that our parents expected it to be done? No. And therefore, it is not honoring to our parents when we do that, right? Well, the same goes with our worship to God. The same goes in the way that we worship God. If the first commandment commands us to worship God exclusively, if that is the first commandment, that we worship God Almighty, the God of the Bible, and Him alone, then the second commandment is going to tell us how we should worship them, how we should worship God alone. God is the one who is able to dictate this. He is the one who is able to structure this. And so this is exactly what the second commandment is about. So today we want to ask the question, why does God dictate the way in which we should worship? Why does God dictate this? Why does God decide this? Why is it in this way that we ought to worship God? So we'll begin reading in verse 4, and we read this. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments." We know that the Word of God is living and breathing. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce between soul and spirit of joints and marrow, even defining the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So before we go to the Lord, let's, uh, let's go to Him in prayer. 
Father, we thank you so much for this day, that we are able to come together as a family, uh, that we are able to worship you, we are able to examine your word. As we do this morning, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes to your truth. We pray that your word would have fruit in our life. We pray as the seeds are sown this morning that you would bind the devil, that you would not allow him to snatch away the gospel seeds planted today. Instead, you would, uh, you would allow them to grow up and produce fruit uh, in our life. We thank you, Lord, for mothers on this day. We thank you, Lord, for godly women who have modeled this second commandment for us. And we pray today that you would help us as we seek to love you rightly. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the commandment is pretty simple, right? The commandment is pretty black and white. He simply says, You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. God commands, he forbade the Israelites to make a, a carved image, a graven image, an image of anything to use in worship. Now, as we often read this, uh, we're tempted maybe to think of the, uh, the idols that maybe we see in, in Eastern cultures. Uh, when I was able to go to China uh, a couple years back now, uh, if you walked into any home, you saw a homemade idol. And in front of this carved golden statue, they had placed fruit and everything else. Maybe that's the idea that you think about. And maybe you could say that, well, yeah, that, that makes sense why God wouldn't allow us to use that in worship. Yet, what we see here is that this isn't exactly a, a, an idol that is made to another god. Instead, what he is forbidding here is that we create any idol and call it God and worship it as the God of the Bible. In fact, as we continue reading in the book of Exodus, we find this is exactly what the people of, uh, of Israel did. You remember the story of the Israelites. They're, they're in bondage to the Egyptians, and they cry out to God. God sends them Moses. God uh, exercises the might of his hand and, and uh, brings plagues upon Egypt until his people are finally uh, able to leave Egypt. And in the process of leaving, God tells them, Now ask your Egyptian captors. Ask them to give you money. And sure enough, they ask, and the Egyptians shower them with gold and silver and precious jewels, and they say, get out of here. We've had enough of the Israelites. We've had enough of these plagues. If you remember the last uh, plague, the greatest plague was the loss of the firstborn. And so the people of, uh, of Egypt literally paid them to leave. And then they come to the Red Sea, and God parts the Red Sea, leads them across. And here we come to Exodus 20, where the law is given. But you remember what happens when Moses goes up on the mountaintop? Moses isn't on the mountaintop for quite a long time, and the people start getting restless. I think uh, maybe I was related to these people. They started getting restless, right? They're, they're just waiting. They don't know when Moses is coming down. They don't know what's happened to Moses. Uh, if you remember, Moses told the people, don't even let an animal go near this mountain or they will die. And yet Moses has been up for a while. Is he coming back? Is he okay? What's going on? So they come to Aaron, and they say, Aaron, we want to worship God. We want to worship God Almighty. So would you take these precious gifts that we were given in Egypt, and would you fashion them in the form of a bull? Because our God is mighty like a bull, and we want to worship him as such. And sure enough, Aaron makes up a golden calf, and the people worship it and say, this is the God who led us out of Egypt. They weren't worshiping a false God, but instead they were using false means to worship the one true God. And what was God's response to that? 
It was not a happy response. You remember Moses comes down the mountain and sees what they're doing and breaks the Ten Commandments, shatters the Ten Commandments, and he boils down the golden calf and he makes the men drink it uh, with, uh, mixed in with water. I remember that being such a vivid image when I was seven or eight. I thought, man, you had to drink that? That's crazy, right? But here they are. They've already broken the commandment. They are setting something up and worshiping it as God, using it in worship, worshiping God improperly. So why, why this commandment? Though? What's so wrong with using something to worship God? You and I are tangible people. I told uh, a couple Wednesday nights ago, I told a funny story about Knox when uh, he was playing a, a video game on my computer and the controller wasn't plugged in right. And so he said, Daddy, it's not working. It's broken. And I said, OK, I'll fix it. And as I'm coming over to fix it, he says, we need God. <laughs> and I said, OK, I said, we need God. He said, yeah, where is he? And uh, so we go through some questions every night. And one of his questions is, where is God? And so I said, I don't know, Knox, where is God? And he said, everywhere, but I can't see him, right? And we, how many of us have done that? We want to see God. We want to touch him. We want to feel him. And yet we understand that God is a spirit. He doesn't have a body like us. He's not, he, we're not able to see him. John tells us that no man has seen God. So the question is, why, why, why can't we make something tangible? Why can't we touch something tangible? We have a few reasons that, that, uh, that God gives us about why we should worship him in the way that he has decided. First off, God's glory cannot be captured by any object made by man. God's glory cannot be captured by any object made by man. God is so glorious and so powerful that there is no earthly object in heaven or on the earth or in the water that could ever match his glory. God is strong like an ox. But the ox's strength pales in comparison to the strength of God. God is, uh, God is as massive as a, as a blue well. But even that blue well pales in comparison to the glory and might of God. God is as radiant as the sun, but even sun itself is dim and bleak compared to the glory of our Father. God is, is telling us how to worship Him because He is setting Himself apart as the Creator and showing us that as Creator, He is to be worshipped above all else. There is nothing in this world that we could ever, uh, we could ever bring together that would match His glory. And so, to do so is a slight on His glory. This is a heavy command that he gives them. In fact, if we look at this command, it has a blessing and a promise to it that is very severe. Why? Because God cares about his glory. God cares about being worshipped properly. God is the one who dictates these things, and so he tells us, you need to worship me in this way. You need to worship me understanding that I am a God who is as glorious as glory can be. Therefore, nothing will compare to that. In fact, if we look in the Old Testament, we see many areas where idolatry is mentioned and the fashioning of idols is mentioned. And I love the way Isaiah talks about uh, the idols of the day. He's always talking about them uh, with sarcasm, with almost fighting sarcasm. Isaiah says to the people who are, who are being led astray to worship the idols and to form and fashion idols, he says, I tell you what you do. You idol worshipers, this is what you do. You go out in the woods and you cut down a tree. You take half of that tree, you throw it into the fire, and you, you make a meal on it, and you keep yourself warm on it. Then you take the other half of that tree, and you carve it into an idol. You set it up in your home, you bow down to it, and you say, this is the God of all the world. He says, that's foolishness. 
That's foolishness. Then he goes on and he says, your gods, you have to carry them from place to place. But Yahweh, the God of the Bible, is carried by no man. He is glorious and wonderful. He is the God who created all things. Therefore, there is no image in this world that we can set up that rightly gives him his glory. No image, no image can, can match the glory of God. So God says, don't make them. Don't make carved images. Don't set up anything that you can worship in place of me. Then he tells us something else. And not only can God's glory not be captured by any object made by man in heaven or on earth or under the earth, but he tells us that he is a jealous God. A jealous God. Maybe when you read that, maybe you step back a little bit. Maybe, maybe you're hesitant to use that word, a jealous God, because when we think about jealousy, we think about the, the great green monster of jealousy, right? We think about maybe watching, a, maybe watching a sitcom or watching a TV show when one character gets insanely jealous and, and does foolish things because of his jealousy. We think of jealousy as a human emotion, a reaction. And yet here, this is not how jealousy is, is, is used. It's not used as a human emotion or as a reaction. This is a characteristic of who God is. Another word today that might sound better on our ears is zealous. God is zealous for his glory. He is jealous for us to worship him as he ought to. And we say this is right, right? This makes sense to us. Because every married couple in here, you are jealous for your spouse. You don't want your spouse confiding in another person. You don't want them going on dates with another person. Uh, we, we understand this. We understand that when you make a covenant with somebody, that person you are pledged to. And here, the words that are used are a, are a word uh, of uh, almost a, 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 a relationship that's being formed here. It's, almost, it's very similar to marriage. God is pledging himself to his people, and he's telling them, I want you to worship me in this way because I am a jealous God. And I'm not going to give my glory to another. I don't want to share you with another. And we may say, well, that's kind of selfish. But what we understand when we read the scriptures and we understand that God is a, is a jealous God, we understand that it's best for us that we worship him alone. It's best for us that we worship him in the way that he has called us to worship him because anything else is going to lead to our hurt. It's going to lead to destruction or exile. It's going to lead to pain and suffering. And so God tells us the way for you to flourish as an individual is to worship me as I have called you to worship me. To worship me alone because I am good. What does he say? I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. So don't bow down to them and don't serve them because I am the only one that you should bow down to and I am the only one that you should serve. And that makes sense. You see, Jesus is, or God is setting up himself here as a good and faithful master, not a taskmaster. You think the people of Israel would have understood the servant language here to bow down and to serve them? These people who were literally slaves in Egypt, they would have understood what it meant to try to make bricks without straw and to be whipped for it. They would have understood what it meant to live under the hand of a mean uh, slave owner. They would have understood that more than you and I ever will. And here God is saying, if you serve these gods, you will be their slaves. They will take and take and take from you. They will hurt you. But if you come and you serve me, I will not hurt you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I will honor you and lift you up. If you serve me, I will bless you because I am a jealous God. 
So he tells us this, this jealousy, his jealousy, it fuels the reason why we ought to worship him as we are called to. Why else? God's glory he will not give to another. God is a jealous God. And then he tells us that the way in which we worship God will, be, will have fruit in the lives of our children. So he tells us that he is a jealous God and he visits the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. So we have this attached to the commandment. He says here that if you worship me and if you follow me, then I will, I will give you steadfast love to the thousandth and thousandth generation. Yet if you do not worship me in the way that I have called you to worship me, then I will enact the upon your children and your children's children. Now what does that mean? Well, here's the bottom line. What God is telling us is the way in which we worship him will have fruit in the lives of our children. And so as mothers and fathers in here, we, we understand this is a serious commandment, right? The way in which we love God and show that we love him, the way in which we worship him, and the way in which we, are, we seek to, uh, to love him, that is going to have fruit in the lives of our children. And so either our children will love the Lord because they see how we have loved the Lord, or they will hate the Lord because they see how we have hated the Lord. Now, we will say, no, no one in here, we don't hate the Lord. And yet, perhaps actions tell a different story. What the Lord is saying in here in this commandment is he's trying to show us that the things that you do with your time, with your money, the things that you do when it concerns worshiping God, these are, are formative in the life of your children. They are teaching your children something. Why do we honor mothers? We honor mothers because so many godly mothers have come through this church and sit in these pews, and they have modeled for us today how to work for How many mothers have taught us how to pray? How many mothers have taught us what it meant to serve tirelessly for the sake of the Lord? How many mothers have shared their faith and showed us that, modeled that for us? And yet, we know that just as many mothers have done good and, and helped us in this, we know of examples where mothers and fathers have fallen short. We, we know of examples where mothers and fathers have fallen short of honoring the Lord, and we've picked up bad habits because of that. And so we want to make sure that we understand what this commandment means. But we can't understand this commandment solely in Old Testament eyes. We can't understand it solely uh, from the perspective of an ancient Israelite. Because today, we have someone who interprets this for us, and that is the person of Jesus Christ. So we've got to fast forward a little bit from Exodus 20. We've got to go all the way to John chapter 4. You remember John chapter 4. It's a familiar story. Jesus goes through Samaria. You know Samaria. Samaria is the, the bad part of town, right? Uh, Samaria is that part of town we don't want to go to. We don't like the people from there. We're not going to talk to Samarians. Uh, we're not going to deal with them. We've got to go anywhere. We're going to drive around Samaria because we don't want to go through there and pick up a stench, right? We don't want that. And yet Jesus goes into Samaria. And Jesus goes into Samaria, and he does something else. He talks to a Samaritan. He talks to him. But not just any Samaritan. He talks to a woman. But not just any woman. A woman who has a history of perverse sins. An outcast. One that even the Samarians would say, this is not a good woman. And here Jesus sits down at the well and asks her, would you give me some water? And she dips some water up and gives it to him and says, why are, why are you talking to me? And they begin discussing uh, religion, and she, she perceives that he knows a little bit more about her than she wants him to know. And so she tries to change this topic, and she says, 
something very interesting. She says, well, tell me that you're a Jewish person. We Samaritans, Samaritans believe that we ought to worship on Mount Gerasim instead of Mount Jerusalem, Mount Zion. So you tell me which one's right. How do we worship God? Which way should we worship God? And Jesus' response is pretty simple. God is calling us to worship him in spirit and in truth. God is calling us to worship him in spirit and in truth. In other words, the second commandment finds its, its uh, meaning in that statement in John 4. The second commandment, not to make graven images, not to, uh, to worship in this way, finds its root in the positive, you ought to worship in spirit and in truth. In other words, in order to keep the, the second commandment, you must know Jesus. You must have trusted in him, the, the sacrifice of his perfect life, the, the death on the cross that he gave for us, his resurrection. We must place our faith in him knowing that we have broken his law and he is the only one who has kept his law. And then in order to worship God, we must worship in spirit and in truth. We must worship him in the spirit with the Holy Spirit leading and guiding us to worship in the way that he has told us to worship. How has he told us to worship? Not only just in spirit and truth, but if you fast forward into Paul's letters, Paul tells us that we ought to come together and worship. We ought to sing hymns and spiritual songs. We ought to gather together and hear the preaching of God's word. And not just in a formal way. We ought to worship him in spirit and in truth. We have to worship him understanding our, our heart's motive matters. How we come to church matters. What we do when we're here matters. Motherhood matters. Fatherhood matters. Because these activities that you have called to, uh, this, is, this is a vocation, if you will. It's something that you've been called to. You didn't decide to be a father. You didn't decide to be a mother. God decided for you, right? You may have had a hand in it. Yes, I know. But God has called you to this because it's these two occupations, this, this, this occupation of being a parent that leads the next generation to rightly worship God. And so we have a message for mothers today. What is that message? That message is rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ because parenthood is hard. So you rely on your great high priest who has suffered in every way that you have and yet remains perfect. Rely on this Savior who comes and worships God. And, is, and you, are, you are able to worship God rightly if you are in Jesus. So we are able to see that the reason why we shouldn't make carved images, the reason why we ought not to make graven images, is because God has offered an image to us. We don't need an image of a bull. We don't need an image of the sun. We were given the image of Jesus Christ, the one made perfectly in the image of God. We are to worship God as he has called us to worship. We are to worship him in the person of Jesus Christ. So when we come to these scriptures, we're encouraged a couple of ways. We're encouraged a couple of ways. First, we are reminded as believers, as mothers, as fathers, we're reminded that even when we break these commandments, even when we fail to worship God in the way that he has called us to, even when God tells us to clean our room and we push everything under the bed and we push everything in the closet and we don't actually clean up, we understand that Jesus has done all things right. And his righteousness is given to us. And so that when we fail, we are able to cry out to him and say, Lord, don't mark my sin against me. Forgive me my sins because I have trusted in Jesus. We are encouraged by that. 
we are able to look at this passage and we are able to see another way that we can be encouraged, another idea that we can bring out of here. And that idea is simply that Jesus is the perfect image of God. And so if our worship does not center around him, then our worship is a graven image. Our idea of God is a graven image. And how often have you and I made an image of cards, a house of cards that we have called God? And God and his grace and his mercy has blown that house of cards down every time. And he has called us back to himself, focusing on his son, focusing on who he is and how we follow him. Last but not least, as we examine this passage, we understand that there are ways that we have failed. As mothers, no mother in here is perfect. We honor our mothers. We're thankful for them. But we understand that we have no superhero mothers in here that have never failed, never fallen. No. We understand that every mother in here is a sinner. You didn't think you'd get that on Mother's Day, did you? We usually get that on Father's Day. Every father's a sinner, right? But guess what? Every mother is a sinner, too. And every mother needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as mothers today, we are able to confess to one another. We are able to confess the areas that we're struggling with and say, these areas I have struggled with. I have struggled with discouragement. I have struggled with leading my kids uh, with patience. I have struggled with leading my kids to worship God rightly. And we confess those sins to one another because that's when we are able to come along and say, yes, and I struggle too. And God is good in his grace. And so we are able to read the second commandment and be encouraged because God promises us that those who follow him, he will show his steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandment. Let me tell you what my goal is as a parent. I, I don't know. We don't know how, how long we're, we're promised. I don't know if uh, the Lord will take me to him tomorrow. Uh, through probably an act of stupidity on my part or whatever else. I don't know if he gives me another 50 years, if he gives me another 60 years. I don't, I don't know. But here's my goal as a parent. My goal as a parent is that I live, I, I live my life in such a way to leave a lasting legacy that my children can look back and they can know that I love the Lord as best as I could and that I love Jesus more than anything. And I pray that regardless of how long I'm able to live, that I don't do anything that, 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 that hardens that image. But instead, they are able to look and say, he loved the Lord and he wanted to worship the Lord in the way that God desired. He loved Jesus and everything that he did was wrapped up in his love for Jesus. Should that not be our goal today as parents, as mothers, as fathers? Should that not be our goal to love Jesus and everything so that our children can look back and not just our children, that our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren can look back and say, I may not have ever met him, but I heard stories of how my great-grandfather and great-grandmother loved the Lord with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their mind. That legacy can be lived today. In fact, my grandmother uh, passed away uh, last Christmas, around Christmas time. Uh, she lived a long and happy life. She was 95. Uh, in fact, I really thought Granny was going to outlive me. Uh, but she finally went home to be with the Lord. And so I just started asking my aunts and my uncles. And I said, uh, I asked my aunt, I said, tell me about Granny's church life. Because Granny's always been old when I was born. She's always old. And so I, I knew that she had gotten to the age where she wasn't able to come to church as much. And so I just kind of asked my aunt, I said, tell me about how, how did Granny love Jesus? I know that she's always claimed to be a believer, but tell me about her story. So she told me Granny's story. Then she told me another story that I didn't know about. My great-grandfather. She said, your great-grandfather was a heathen. 
He, he, he cared nothing about the things of the Lord. He liked drinking and carousing. He stayed out all the time. He said, but one day we went to see, it was her granddaddy. We went, to, we went to see granddaddy. We drove to their house and they weren't there. We noticed down at the pond that everybody was down at the pond. And so we decided to go down to the pond too. She said, we went down to the pond and your granddaddy had trusted in Jesus. And he was baptized at 82 years old. And here's the thing. I'm here today because my 82-year-old grandfather trusted in Jesus. And he didn't live a life all his life trusting in Jesus. No, but that moment of trusting in Jesus, that was passed on to his son. And that was passed on to my father. And that was passed on to me. And so it's never too late to trust in the Lord. And it's never too late to turn that life around and to trust in the, in the shed blood of Jesus for you. It's never too late to leave the legacy today. So my challenge to mothers, my encouragement to mothers, my encouragement to fathers, my challenge to fathers, is that you would trust in Jesus in everything that you do. And that you would show your children, not just by words, but by your actions, how to follow the Lord, how to follow the second commandment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray this morning that you would help us to love you with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.